you had an article up on Masson that said Dribble Reels were kicked out of South Korea. Right, like the whole, <laughs> everybody Like the knew. whole country, like all their visas were revoked. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It's August the 19th, 2012. In the evening, as we're recording here, the Orioles have just improbably taken two out of three games from the Detroit Tigers, a fellow wildcard contender. And well, Andrew hates when it's said, but so we won't say that particular thing, but Currently, the Orioles occupy one of the two wildcard spots in the American League, which is pretty cool. And my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, is along for the ride. As always, Andrew, how's it going? Thank you for not saying that. No, I, I, I did. I held back just for you. <laughs> because it's not true. It's not true. It's, it's the gist of it. It, it is and, true and that the Orioles are in a wildcard spot right now. That's true. That is true. But, but they haven't actually earned a berth into the the championship tournament right 121 games have been played by the orioles which means there's still 41 to go so you know they can't they can't do bad over those last 41 or no they they are they they have literally they need to keep the pedal down there is a one half game buffer between the orioles and the oakland athletics who are currently the closest team in that wild card race so that's all that there is there's no wiggle room there's none because whenever oakland makes up whatever less game they played if they win it suddenly it's you know neck and neck then it's win for win and that's where it's at so but but andrew in a fit of optimism which i have i've been unwilling to really embrace up until right now when it's just it's mid-august and the orioles are in a wild card spot and you know what Mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome so I've been avoiding trying to break down the wild card competition because I didn't really accept and believe that the Orioles could possibly hang in there, but they're hanging in there. So to open up this podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the other wild card contenders. So we're going to start out with the team that is above the Orioles in the first wild card spot. Although again, the two wild card spots are equal in that they're going to play one game and the winner. Moves on. There's something to be said for home field. Home field, exactly. Home field in the one-game playoff. So that's currently the the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 67 and 54. So one game better than the Orioles. And they've really been winning as the Orioles have been winning. The Rays just came off with a four-game sweep of the the Angels. The Angels themselves being a wild-card contending team. And we saw ourselves that the Rays... Aren't too shabby. They've got some good players. They got uh, Evan Longoria on the way back, and their their rotation is much more solid, for instance, than the Orioles is. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. David Price probably going to get some Cy Young votes, if not the the winner of it. You know, Matt Moore is not doing too shabby. Jeremy Hellickson, all these guys, good 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 players. And uh, you know, the Rays really? the Rays have been there before. They've got the uh, the postseason experience in recent memory that, for instance, the Orioles don't have. So they could certainly keep winning games and stay ahead of the Orioles. It would, uh, although, how many games the Orioles have to play against the Rays in the last 41? Some 
Um, I just had this open. They've got the last series in October is is three games in Tampa Bay. That's right, because what is it, like September 30th, October 2nd, or maybe even October? It's October 3rd. 3rd. Yeah. It's the last day of the season. And that's in, in, Tampa, in Tampa Bay. So literally the last three games the Orioles will play this year are in Tampa Bay. So. And then there is a, a home series in the middle of September that Tampa Bay will be in Baltimore. Just imagine if that last series actually had stakes. That would be something. And you know the Rays fans aren't going to sell out the Trops, so then you could talk about, well, let's have an Orioles fan invasion down there or something like that. That'd be something. That would be, that would be something. <laughs> That'd be a bizarre world. So the Rays are the team that the Orioles would have to catch if they wanted to dream of having a one-game playoff in Camden Yards. And the next on the list, again, is the Oakland Athletics, whose success is... Really about as improbable as the Orioles, I would say. Just there was not any expectation that they would be contending at all. And they have yeah. they have the added mess of the whole uh, O.co mausoleum. Maybe they're going to move to San Jose, maybe not, mess going on. And even when they're not, I mean, their attendance is, is awful. Their best player is Josh Reddick, who... Well, we last saw crashing into the scoreboard in in right field at Camden Yards. Right, and uh, yeah, he hurt his shoulder on that one. Kept me on that game-ending yeah. catch or something. Did he go on the deal? I guess not. Uh, I don't. I don't believe so. I think he missed like two games, and that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was that fourteen to nine game that he ended with catching crashing into the wall. Yeah. That was. <laughs> it's a lot of. Uh... Obvious game savvy. He knows what's going on in the game. Knows he has to sacrifice his body to make that catch. Yeah, clearly, clearly that's what's happened. But I mean, they've also got Jonas Cespedes. They've uh, they've reclaimed Brandon Inge off the scrap heap, and he's saved. Oh, maybe he should go back on the scrap. He's UZR has saved. Says says they he's saved eleven runs since joining the Athletics. Wow. Mm. It's hard to say, wow, 11 runs. You're still OPSing under 700, though. Yeah, he's not exactly contributing with the bat for them. I mean, you, you need to save a lot of runs. And he actually, I was going to say, so Oakland is a pitcher's park, right? So I was going to say maybe he's uh, he's actually hitting better on the road, but he's not hitting better on the road. He's batting 235 at home and 196 on the road. That might include his Detroit numbers this year, but... Well, either way, it's really hard to, um, I guess, take a team seriously when you have a guy who's in the minor leagues sort of, you know, plodding along, and now he's a starting corner infielder for your playoff competitive team. Or, for instance, if you're the Orioles, starting corner outfielder. Well, right. Nate McClough. Yeah, and Lou Ford. And Lou Ford. Although it's more McLeod than Ford. It's Although nice. at least I don't I I don't think Brandon Inch has been batting third for the for the Athletics. I so, yeah, I really don't know where he's been batting, but probably not third. Uh, the story with them though they they sold off all their pitching over last winter. Oh, he's on the DL, so I can't tell you where he batted today because he didn't Uh-oh. bat today. Brandon wow. Inch. 
Oops. Did they did they win today? Yes, the Athletics well, there you go. Sunday were seven to zero victors over the Cleveland Indians, who are a hot mess, and we won't address mm-hmm. them anymore. This this episode. But but anyway, the the story coming into the season with with Oakland was they uh, they sold off their pitching that was they had formed a pretty good core of starting pitchers and they traded them away. Gio Gonzalez went to Washington. Uh, Trevor Cahill went to uh, Arizona. Is that right? Yeah. So now they're they're throwing out names like Brandon McCarthy. Okay, that's a good name. Right. Bartolo Colon. Oh, the second the second season in a row of Bartolo Colon's deal with the devil, he really got better terms than uh, than Freddie Garcia, I guess, from, yeah. from last year. Jared Parker has a 3.71 ERA after making 20 starts. Travis Blackley 3.66 after 11 starts. What is it? I mean, that's you and know. they have a really good bullpen. And they have a great bullpen. They have yeah. Pat Neshek in their bullpen. Well, former Norfolk Tide. Yeah. So, you know, they, they're built in a very similar way to the Orioles in one sense, where, you know, that, that lineup's got a couple of guys that make you stop and say, like, ooh, look out. But then a bunch of guys where it's like, oh, why is he playing on this team? Um, and then they have a really, really good bullpen. Oakland's bullpen ERA going into today was 296. The Orioles was 304, so they're 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 right about there. And both of those teams, in fact, have been passed by the Rays bullpen. We didn't even really talk about that when we just briefly addressed them. And the Rays have a 292 bullpen ERA, or they did have it heading into today. Fangraphs doesn't update uh, immediately, so 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 we're noticing in this wild card race the theme is good bullpens so far. Not surprising that those are teams uh, contending, I guess, with. Uh, with those bullpens, and really all of them are cheap bullpens. Kinda. It'd be really difficult to get this far and stay in a race this long with a really bad bullpen that's just like blowing saves every other day, giving up a bunch of home runs. It's really tough to to win this many games with a bad bullpen. Well, the next team on the list down in the wildcard standings is the Detroit Tigers, who, of course, we just saw over the last weekend. They're now two games back of the Orioles, the second game behind in the standings. And just talking about the, the bullpens, the Tigers' bullpen has a or had a 3.81 ERA going into today, and they were responsible for uh, 17 losses going into today. Wow. I mean, who, who cares? Who cares about that last thing? No. Well... Um, but that, that ERA is good. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's a, not great, but it's not... It's just, it's not an elite bullpen like the Orioles have had and like the Rays have. It's not the Mets with a 502 bullpen ERA. Right. Oh, well, I mean, you look at their their guys like Jose Valverde. He's got an ERA that's 17% better than league average. Joaquin Benoit, 25% better than league average. Phil Coke, 13% better than league average. Octavio Dotel, it's under three. Uh, Brian Villarreal. Under three ERA. I mean, that's that's a pretty good like bullpen core. And all right? those guys come out and throw hard. Yeah, you know, it, it's not Pedro Stroke with his deal with the Devil, but 
that's a, that's a really good bullpen. It's just it's not the type of bullpen that you can really lean on the way the Orioles have leaned on their bullpen. Right, for sure. So the the Tigers are actually neck and neck in the Central with the Chicago White Sox, and it could be uh, the Tigers will pass the White Sox for the division lead, and then suddenly we would be talking about, well, now it's the White Sox that are trailing the Orioles, and, well, the White Sox are another surprising team, getting great, absolutely great seasons from starting pitchers like Chris Sale and Jake Peavy, and... The Adam Dunn rebound has helped them out a lot. Yeah, and then uh, sort of renaissance seasons from A.J. Przinsky with an 890 OPS coming into today. Alex and Rios. Alex Rios. Yeah. yeah. Paul Canerco just doing his thing like just, he always just does. Just compiling his, uh, his stats in his veteran Paul Canerco way. Kevin Euclid has been a really good pickup for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is he? He's got Especially over an 800 OPS since he uh, joined the White Sox. It looks like that's pretty good. Yeah, it, it's weird um, when you look at like who should be manager of the year. That type of award it usually goes to just who managed the team that exceeded expectations the most. Which is why you're going to hear a lot about how Buck Showalter should be manager of the year. Um, Any one of, I mean, Chicago or right. the Orioles or and uh, Oakland. It's just, like, you look at this team and you're like, why did anybody think this was a bad team coming into the year? Like, there's a lot of good players. Yeah, they had they had guys coming off stand. off years, I guess, but there was yeah. guys with a track record, and I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't, lots, you don't lots expect of there. Alex Rios to turn it back on, but I mean, this is like Gavin Floyd and John Danks; those are good pitchers and they've had bad years so you know it's 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 weird like they're they're doing really well just i guess in a different way than everybody expected just just like the orioles and we'll get into that uh that specifically in our our second segment of the podcast and kind of hanging on in the periphery of this wild card race they're now four and a half games back which uh it isn't a, a lot but with three teams to leapfrog to get into a, a spot, that makes it more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Again, the Angels just got swept by the Rays four games straight. Yeah, That'll hurt that your... big opportunity. That, yeah, it was their opportunity to gain some ground, and they lost some ground. Much like Boston, kind of their last stand was their series against the Orioles, and losing two out of three pretty much yeah. put them out of there. Not that that stopped... ESPN for marketing the this weekend Red Sox Yankees series as Boston's last stand. I mean, I, wow. I think they had already lost their last stand before this weekend series started. They got to do what they got to do. Yeah, they got to they got to make that dollar. I guess I can't really blame them for that. So, so Boston is not even in there, but the Angels. Wow. Yeah, I tried to explain to me why the Angels aren't. <laughs> they have the league MVP. Or should they have Albert should be the, the Rookie of the Year and MVP, Mike Trout. Mark Trumbo's having an awesome year. Torrey Hunter, Kendrys Morales, great seasons. You look at their rotation, C.J. Wilson, Jared Weaver, Dan Heron, Zach Greinke. Explain to me why this is a bad team. I have a bullpen. You got Ernesto Frieri, you got Scott Downs, both have a great ERA. Eh, it's, and, it's a mystery. And, yeah, it's just... 
it's not working out. As as much as the Orioles have been lucky with, well, I mean, we could say it's lucky, fortunate to be winning some games. It's like the Angels are losing just as many games. The big acquisition, Zach Greinke, he's only made four starts for them, but he's got a 5.54 ERA in those games. That's, yep. uh, you know. And he just got lit up again today. Oh, and he got lit up again today, so even even worse for him. I mean, it just, there was a point in the middle of the summer where it looked like, oh, they're finally here. All right, like, let's 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 go, basically. You know, Pujols got off to a bad start, but he heated up. Yeah, he's heating back up. He's slugging over 500. They brought Trout up, um, sort of the, the Twitter thing du jour this, this evening, was making fun of Vernon Wells, who's been just a complete mess and when he came back from the disabled list the angels started losing again <laughs> oh boy so, um yeah well there you go vernon wells it's all his fault and he's but, making 21 but, million a year for like the next it, four years or something oh well, maybe it's just people though well of course it is <laughs> so there's there's your there's your quick and dirty of each of the wild card teams and we are going to take a short break when we return, we'll be back with the Camden Cast Comment Box Week 2 Edition. You're listening to Camden Cast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at GibsonAndrew, and you can follow me, Mark, on Twitter at EatMore, S-K-E-S-S-K-A-Y, just like the hot dogs. Now back to the show. And just like that, we're back. Andrew, are you feeling refreshed? Yeah, I'm feeling. I'm feeling refreshed. We did not get any refreshment, or I didn't, but I'm refreshed anyway. Oh, so we're going to dip into the, the Camden Cast comment box, and we're actually going to take take multiple comments. And be sure to look for on Thursday and Friday on CamdenChat.com the comment box for the next week's podcast. You can leave questions for us, and if we like them, we will read them and do our best to answer them on the podcast. So first up this week comes from, and I'm probably going to say his name wrong, so I apologize in advance. His username appears to be TFLAC2, and his question was, what did you think before the season started was a measure of a successful 2012, and has the team accomplished any or all of it? And should the Orioles make the playoffs, would that overshadow or even cancel out the fact that probably a good number of those checklist items haven't happened? So TFLAC makes a very good point, because if you want to tick off and... We saw this when we were discussing on the site. Was that Grantland or was that Sport Illustrated that had the best and worst case scenario? Um, we was were, it Grantland? I, I thought it was just like the sweet spot blog. On so it was something something ESPN-ish, maybe. You're right. I don't know. It was some big name sports writer and the, that you can use to just keep pointing back and say, ha ha, you're dumb for disrespecting so us. The, exactly. And there's nothing Baltimore people love doing more than shoving it in people's space if they feel disrespected and those people were wrong. So the, the best case scenario this writer put, and I'm sorry that I forget who it was. Maybe it was David Schoenfield. I don't know. But uh, it was like it's not the, too the best case scenario. Right. The, the point is, it's like the straw man to, to beat up on of all national media writers and stand in and stand in for that. Sure. And so the, their best case scenario was that young pitchers like Zach Britton and Brian Mattis, 
take marginal steps forward, but blah, 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 all this other stuff will go wrong, and the Orioles will fail to win 70 games for the seventh straight year. Now, that was the best-case scenario. And what's really remarkable is that not even the things that person predicted could go right have gone right in any way, shape, or form. And the Orioles, 66 wins right now, only need to win four more to have that 70 wins. And, you know, I felt like the saying, well, under 70 is the best case, was pretty harsh, even even feeling like I was an Orioles pessimist. Because to me, it seemed like, you know, 77 might be the best case. And obviously, I was drastically wrong as well. But probably I won't get killed as much since I am an Orioles fan. Right. But, but really, so the young pitching took no kind of step forward at all because... There was just pretty much complete failure for Brian Mattis, Jake Arrieta. Zach Britton really was struggled first. He just had one good game, but again, you can't put too much stock in one good game. Chris Tillman, you still can't really make up your mind about Chris Tillman because no, no, you really there's can't. just there's just no way to to say what you're going to get for him from from game to game. So, and then you you look at a guy like. Matt Wieters hasn't really stepped forward to be one of the best players in baseball like we always dream, which, of course, was an unrealistic... Well, he's been really good. He's been, he's been a great catcher and isn't, you know, isn't uh, Jeff Mathis with the bat, right. but he's not, you know, a great catcher while being, you know, one of the 15 he's best... He's not Mike Piazza. Right, one of the 15 like, best hitters. That's hitter. such an absurd comparison to put him up against. Like, oh, he's not Mike Piazza. Okay, he'll just have to make do being really good, but not Hall of Fame really good. Shucks. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, you know what? I just, uh, I remember, it might have been in Matt Weider's rookie season, maybe his second season, the Orioles were playing the Red Sox, and Masson put up this graphic, like, somehow comparing the beginning of Matt Weider's career to the beginning of Jason Veritek's career. And I read that at the time, and I was like, Masson, thanks for depressing us with making us think, well, Matt Wieters will just be as good as Jason Veritek. And but, like, that's before. really but, good. Right, if, you get a fir- if you get a top five draft pick, and you draft that player, and they contribute to your franchise what Jason Veritek contributed to the Red Sox, you've actually done pretty well. Yeah, Which I, yeah, wasn't, we- I wasn't willing to acknowledge at the time, but thinking about it now... You know, most draft picks are not going to be right. Jason Veritek. Most draft picks aren't even going to be, like, Ben McDonald or, or uh, you know, th- they're not even going to be Brian Flaherty. I mean, this is a huge win for the Orioles. And, and we've talked about it plenty of times, how you get these absurd comparison points in your mind and then anything less than that, and it becomes a disappointment when that's totally unfair. And that's a big part of why, like, Manny Machado's up. Let's not anoint him as the second coming. Let's not anoint right, let's Dylan not, Let's not start calling him Brooks Robinson just because he made one play where he caught the ball in foul territory and, right. you know, hurled it to first. Even if the umpire called the guy safe, even though Mark Reynolds' toe was on the base. But I, That was an error for Manny Machado. It was an error for Manny Machado. Yeah. Extremely unfortunate. So, so I guess the question is, Andrew, do you feel like if the Orioles made the playoffs, would that overshadow that all these, all these guys have struggled or not done as great as we might have hoped going forward? Um, 
Well, there's two ways I look at it. One is, uh, I don't don't know about the word overshadowed, um, because is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, If if the Orioles make the playoffs without any of these things happening, um, it's good. It's an unqualified good just for this year. Right. We thought anything was going to happen this year. Right. That's the whole point of everything is to make the playoffs. Um, And making it is an instant automatic success of your season. Uh, the, the other thing that I think about a lot that is going to be really un, an unpopular thing to think about, I think about the, the Royals from 2003. Yeah, you don't want it to just had that one, one random really good one season. One good season out of nowhere and then go back to stinking, which I and guess was, is... I'm sorry. Yeah, you can go ahead. Sorry. Well, it, it was a fluke year for the, for the Royals, and they... They didn't build on it because you can't really build on fluke years. And when your season isn't built on, you know, the starting pitching that you are weighing your whole franchise against, contributing, developing in any sense, some guys have taken huge steps backwards instead of any kind of just stability. Right, and now, you know, like, for instance, Brian Mattis, now they're like, well, let's put him in the bullpen and have him be a lefty specialist, and meanwhile, his first, like, two bullpen outings have not been good at all, like, just just Sunday night here, he's, I think the Twitter said he threw one inning and gave up two runs in that inning, threw 24 pitches, and only 11 of them were strikes. If you're not even over 50% strikes, yikes. So they're built in some ways really poorly moving forward, and calling this season an unequivocal success does overshadow that in a, in a way because I don't think that they can go into next season with the same team and hope for anywhere close to the same success. No, whatever whatever is there that's making them win this year, I uh, I don't see how it could persist through an off season. You can't expect another well, can't expect full year of rabbits out of the hats just continually. So it's a little mixed. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of really good things that have happened for the Orioles yes. that set them up a lot better than they have been set up, like uh, signing Adam Jones to a below-market extension, right. even though they signed him at the exact worst time possible. Um, He's locked up, and, and importantly, he really has stepped forward as a leader of the team, just it seems like, within both the clubhouse and kind of as the face to the outside mm-hmm. world of the team, which really the Orioles did not have before he kind of stepped into that role. I mean, for the last few years, they really didn't have anyone who was that kind of excellent player who was also the leader. Maybe kind of, and Kevin Millar was not obviously not an excellent mm. player, but he at mm. least had the reputation of being a World Series winner for the Red Sox. Boy, you're, you're really digging for something good when you're like, well, what about Kevin Millar? Yeah, so... I mean, that's, that's something that is valuable to the franchise in a way that it's probably harder to quantify. So that's good that that's happened. And uh, uh, Wei Yin Chen the, has been a great friend. Right. There's another year of Jason Hamill, and possibly if they like him, you know, they could 
tack a couple years on at a good price there, and if he's if he's still performing, I think that would be a positive. Um, they found their answer to who's going to bat leadoff for the next. Yeah, Nick Markakis is fat. We find out he's a good. No player. more this Andy Chavez or Robert Andino or the ghost of Brian Roberts batting leadoff. So I mean, these are all these are all good things. Uh, it feels like JJ Hardy has to rebound. You know. Wow, that's hardly a good thing. I mean, if J.J. Hardy has to rebound next season, right. doesn't Jason Hamill have to rebound yeah, the other Yeah, that's a good point. I, uh, stop depressing me, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, what about that? So, okay. But there there are good things about this team to take forward. And... Um, the, the, I think, I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing or like a building block thing, but like they prove that they can build a good bullpen without spending any money whatsoever. Yeah, so so Dan Duquette can assemble the spare parts and just go with who's ever working. And uh, I mean, obviously it's not as easy as that, but it's nice to know he has the kind of acumen to recognize that's the ideal strategy. And then maybe he's employed people who have been able to identify who are the uh, the best arms out of those kind of scrap heap guys. All the same. Uh... In, in some really critical ways, bringing it back to the question, the season has been a failure for the organization, uh, especially with their young pitching. Just the way the pitching has failed is such a huge setback. Right. It, and, that's what we are pitting all of our hopes on. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do over the off season, and there'll be plenty of time to talk about that. In the future, yes. it's just yes. We it's gotta, be we don't want to talk about the off season. What they the, do uh, next? While this, while the Orioles are in the wild card race, so stop asking us about the off season because right now we don't care. We we want the wild card and maybe even the division, but that's probably unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, next question out of the box comes from Marylander, who asked us among other things, but the one we're going to address is: Are there concerns about Wei and Chen becoming fatigued before the end of the season? Because as Marylander notes, he came to us from the Japanese League, where he only threw every sixth day instead of every fifth day. And that means he's going to end up throwing more innings this year than he's thrown in the past. So wondering if he's, he's fatigued is, is probably fair. Uh, my answer to sure. that is I don't think he ha- is yet. He hasn't shown us although he's not at his innings total, because Marylander also noted uh, that Chen threw 164 innings last year and 188 in 2010. He's now at 151. But it seems like the fact that so many of Chen's struggles have come in the first inning, I think I saw earlier his first inning ERA is something like 6.82, and he has like a 3 ERA in any subsequent inning you know, combined. So mm-hmm. if his problem is starting out games hopefully that means it's not like well he's just getting fatigued and he can't pitch at all because if he just whatever he needs to do to be more consistent starting if he can do that a whole game that's good so well yeah yeah. he hasn't shown many obvious signs of like season-long fatigue right and he hasn't looked like for instance when we had koji uehara trying to start games and you know, it was pretty much clear in the fifth inning every time he was he was done. He was gas, yeah. running out of gas. He was, you know, completely drenched in sweat, mopping his brow every pitch. 
that kind of stuff. We don't see that stuff from Chen at all. Which I mean, uh, Chen going into uh, June the 1st, well, after he pitched on June the 1st. So after that game, he had a 3.75 ERA. Coming into today, he had a 3.7 ERA that went up a little bit. Yeah, he went today. up to 3.87, which... But, like, yeah, I, I mean, mean, he's sort of been, like, hovering around that yeah. area for most of the season. And that's... For the price that the Orioles have, Chen, that's fantastic. That is yeah, that is a great... And, and, again... We on this podcast between you and me and Stacy, no one of us was willing to stake our good name on the idea that the Orioles would have one single pitcher, starting pitcher, with mm-hmm. an ERA under four runs. So that is still to be seen. Still to be yeah. seen. He could take up above that, but he could be below it also. And yeah, but I mean, this is kind of where he is, and it. Where he should be, I guess, if we're talking about expectations. He's not an ace. He's not Justin Berlander. Yeah, but he's a guy you want on your, he's on a, your pitching Yeah, staff. he's a really quality arm. Especially, um, again, at the price he's... Obviously, you, you do worry about fatigue. I, I threw up uh, on my screen here in Daisuke Matsuzaka's first season in Boston. He had a really good season, but then in August and September, his ERA was almost six. Um. And he's had all sorts of conditioning problems since coming over. So you do want to keep an eye on this, certainly as a storyline to follow into the end of the season. Uh, Chen is the Orioles' most dependable starter, I guess is the best way to put it. Yes. He's certainly their best starter. So looking at Chen from month to month here, his August ERA, including today's game, is a 408. And his worst month was June, where he had a 4.34. So that's uh, that's pretty consistent. Not mm-hmm. again, like you said, it's not ace territory, but it's a guy you want to have pitching for your team. And you know, it's not like he's getting chased five innings every game either. He's usually good for six. I think he's averaging uh, a little bit more than six. Yeah, actually, so 25 starts, 151 innings. That's that's pretty much exactly six. And six innings from your starter is good. Yeah, it's a really nice get. You, you know, like if this was what Jake Arrieta was capable of doing, I would be, be awesome. I would be crowing, Andrew. Absolutely crowing if Jake Arrieta was sad, performing actually. that. I know, it is sad. It is uh, sad. So we, we don't want to be sad. We'll, we'll move on from that thought. Actually, that's but yeah, so, that, so let's keep an eye on, on the fatigue, but it hasn't set in yet. Yes, hopefully, it, it doesn't seem to have set in yet, and hopefully that will continue to be the case. So... That is all from from the comment box for this time. We will take another short break. You can listen to our plugs, and we will be back after that to talk about the upcoming series against the AL West leading Texas Rangers. You're listening to Candid Cast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you like what you hear and you want to know more, make sure to check out CandidChat.com, where you can find discussion and analysis on all the latest Orioles news with our excellent community members. You can follow the site on Twitter at CandidChat. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash CanvaChat. And if you really want more, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes. If you search for CanvaCast. Now back to the show. And we're back again. It's time to take a look at the Texas Rangers, the Orioles' upcoming opponent for the next three games. They are currently five games ahead of the Oakland Athletics in the AL West division, which is 
surprise in and of itself, as we already talked about. Texas has a 70 and 50 record. That's pretty good. And they they thought their chief rivals would be the Angels, who are in fact nine games back in the West. <laughs> So, yeah, that's not happening. Uh, I don't don't think that's uh, that rivalry is going to be duking it out for the West this year. But there's a lot of years left on Albert Pujols' contract to kind of live up to that promise. Then again, Rangers fans are probably happy that there's a lot of years left on Albert Pujols' well, contract. Then there's a lot of years left on Mike Trout's contract. Yeah. How about that? Oh yeah, that's that's good. That's a good point, Andrew. Chew on them apples. Oh, boy. So, so Texas, here's what we're going to see in the series as far as, as the pitching matchup. So uh, Monday's game will be Miguel Gonzalez versus Ryan Dempster. And the notable thing about Ryan Dempster, as you may have heard over the weekend, Andrew, I'm sure you did, but our listeners may not have, he was supposed to start on Saturday yeah. in Toronto. But uh, reports came out he had been placed on the restricted list, and the Rangers informed media that that was because Ryan Dempster had in fact lost his passport because being in the NL, he had not had to pitch in Canada since 2004 or something like that. So, okay. Uh, Except I think Ryan Dempster himself is Canadian, so it seems kind of weird that he wouldn't have gone back in the offseason. And I don't know. That that was just a weird, weird thing. Somebody either really messed up on the Rangers' end by not keeping tabs at everybody's passports, or I uh, I don't really know. So so whatever. Well, he hasn't pitched very well. Maybe it was all intentional. Yeah, they wanted him to face the Orioles instead of the Blue Jays. I don't know. But so the result is the Orioles will face the uh, the Dempster Dempster instead. The uh, Dempster. The Dempster. I don't know. If he's if he's bad, he they're, will be. The they're going to go Dempster diving. Yeah, they... <laughs> oh boy. Hopefully they go Dempster diving because that means they're doing well. I guess, but. So, so Dempster, and he's pitched three games only for Texas, and uh, has an A31 ERA. So small sample size, but not a good sample size. And uh, the biggest problem for Dempster is he's already surrendered a number of home runs in with the Rangers. He's given up five home runs in 17 and one-third innings. And the Orioles have some guys who like to hit home runs, so could be bad for Dempster, especially pitching in the Texas Heat of August, which is what I'll be doing. And I don't know. But again, who knows what we'll get from Gonzalez. So toss up. I don't know. But then again, the Rangers offense is the best pretty much. Orioles offense, while they like hitting home runs, kind of not the best. So, well, I don't know. Toss up. And Andrew, you never know what to say about one game anyway. Well, that's true. No matter who's pitching. I mean, it's not a good matchup for Baltimore, only because, in general, Texas is probably the best team. They're either 1 or 1A with New York in the American League, if not in all of baseball. Um, And they they already have a number of wins over Baltimore this season. So just really generally speaking, it's not a good matchup. Lest we forget... Andrew, the yeah. uh, the Texas Rangers had a significant negative contribution to the Orioles' much valued run differential. So that's, that's true. That's something we can they, uh, consider. And and but at the same time, you know, Detroit wasn't a very good matchup for the Orioles either. Yeah. 
and look how that went. And so, and really, so it's, it's a different Orioles team than I than the one that faced Texas earlier. Not least of which because of all the roster moves. Yeah, Dan Duquette is not afraid to make. So well, who knows? Who yeah, it, it. We'll see what Miguel Gonzalez and Chris Tillman do. Yes, Chris Tillman is the Tuesday starter, and he will be facing off against the Rangers. Scott Feldman, who has been demoted to the bullpen and brought back out of the bullpen for the Rangers during the course of this season. So that's familiar for, you know, certain Orioles pitchers. So Feldman, his numbers on the year, he's had, he's thrown 89 and a third innings, and that's 15 starts and six relief appearances. He has a 4.63 ERA. And he, too, surrenders. Not an obscene number of home runs, but with about one home run per nine innings, you know, that's not exactly great. This, there could be a lot of fireworks in this series. Yes, there certainly could be. And it's, it's probably it's not even fireworks night. Home run offense, home run stadium, home run prone pitchers. Yeah, Chris, Chris Tillman, if that ball is up, there's going to be home runs. Lots of home runs. Well, same Gonzalez. Yeah, exactly. And, and we can't and count the on the Wednesday starter. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Even worse is the Wednesday yeah. starter, Andrew, as you, as you just said, because for the Orioles, that's going to be Tommy Hunter. If ever there was going to be a night where you can just look and think five runs all earned. And Andrew, that might be a good night for Tommy Hunter against the Texas lineup in Texas is five runs. And he'll be facing off against Derek Holland, who was really one of the key guys of their their playoff run last year uh not as key this year he's pitched 20 games for them and turned 121 innings and he has a 498 era so when you're getting near that five that's uh that's a tough year for as they call him the uh the dutch dash because he has one of those bad 20 something guys who probably shouldn't try and grow a mustache but do and Andrew, I would be one of those guys if I tried to grow a mustache, but I know better, so I, I don't, and uh, I don't go out looking ridiculous. So I try not to. If I do, you're it's not, not because of my mustache. You're not more of like a Delman Young mustache, where no. You know, you know who that reminded me of? I was I tweeted this out over the weekend. I do not know. My girlfriend and I were watching and just like laughing uncontrollably at him because he looked ridiculous. He he looks like the cop from Die Hard. And the, he's also the father from Family Matters. Reginald yes. Feldman. Yes. It's just, it's totally nuts. He's like morphing into this like sitcom father figure, plump face, mustached. Well, I don't know. But Andrew, Derek that's, Holland has. That's the type of mustache I Derek Holland has surrendered 23 home runs in those 121 innings. So, again, homer prone pitcher in a homer prone park. Against the team who can hit home runs. Everybody can hit home runs. Hit a lot of home runs. Omar Quintanilla can hit home runs. It's going to be like a nice homecoming for a bunch of guys. So now that we've said all that, Andrew, it could be three straight one nothing games. Well, it probably Because it's baseball. And who every, knows? every time I've, I've written something or said something along the lines of, well, here's what you can sort of expect. You know, let, let's fill in some context for like the, the series in Detroit, okay? The, the Orioles they tend to have lower scoring games on the road, so of course it's going to be seven to five. Yeah, and it's going to be nine runs scored in the first inning. Of course, 
And um, and really, I mean, it, it's just uh, it's just astounding. Sometimes you can predict baseball completely. Like for instance, Tommy Hunter giving up home runs to both Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder. Oh man, that Prince Fielder home run. That is the opposite of you can't predict ball. That yeah. <laughs> it, the, like it was. It went out the center field and something fell off somebody out there. It was like. like a, it, it's probably about as far as if somebody hit onto this that new center field rooftop bar at Camden Yards. That might I think they said it was four hundred sixty two feet. That it might have to be more than four sixty two to get to the rooftop bar, but it was it's that's a terrifying matchup that went exactly how you expected it to. Yeah. On the other hand, since not many people were on base, those were the only three hunters hunters. Only three runners that hunter runs that hunter gave up. Here's here's the thing with Tommy Hunter to to look for this week. He sucks. <laughs> he has had three games this year where he has not given up at least one home run. Out of 22 games started, or, or 22 games pitched in, because he's been in the bullpen. Well, he gave up homers out of the bullpen. It didn't matter. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It, it, right. His first game against Minnesota, no home runs, and then a game against Kansas City in Kansas City, no home runs. So a nice pitcher's park helps out. And then somehow, well, it was just out of the bullpen in, like, mop-up work, I guess, in New York. No home runs allowed in inning. Well, there you uh, go. And that's it. That's all he's got. Yeah. So, you know. It, it is, it's, it could get messy. Could, could see Josh It'd Hamilton teeing off Nelson Cruz. Wouldn't be a shocker. What about Mike Young? Well, Mike Young, that's our next topic. That's a good segue, Andrew. You're you're really prepared over there. So if you don't follow the Rangers, you might not uh, know that they kind of have a problem with Michael Young, who is jokingly called by some of the uh, some of our fellow SBN bloggers. They jokingly refer to him as the face of the franchise, just because he's he's actually the Rangers franchise hits leader which i think he he achieved that milestone last year and he's just really been the only guy who's been on the rangers for a long time and was kind of good for most of that so hey that's great he had a really good season last year. yeah so the, the problem for the rangers is michael young this year has this veteran standing in the clubhouse to the extent that the uh the dallas morning news beat writer for the rangers voted Michael Young as number one for the American League MVP last year. Literally, that was number one on his ballot, was Michael Young. And uh, so, you know, he's he's a popular guy, veteran veteran in the clubhouse. And this year, he's batting two sixty eight. He's got a three oh one on base percentage and a three forty slugging percentage going into today. So, 641 OPS. And... Uh, He's played in all but I think three of Texas's games. He's got nearly 500 plate appearances. He's been playing shortstop. He's been playing shortstop. He's been playing because they gotta fit him in there. Everything, because you have to get that bat into your lineup. Well, he's played two games at shortstop, but still, he's he's played some first base. He's played some third base. He's played some second base. A lot of DH, which. Very- Vlad Guerrero-esque. It is very Vlad Guerrero-esque, yeah. except he has, it's, it's really the added 
pressure that, again, he's kind of that veteran leader in the clubhouse. And, uh, well, he's signed for next year also for like $14 million. And uh, That is if he doesn't demand a if trade. If he doesn't demand a trade when, you know, the Rangers sign someone new that now he's going to be like a part-time DH at best. So, and Michael Young, in fact, I read a quote from uh, from from the Rangers manager, Juan, Ron Washington, who said that uh, if the ship with Michael Young is going down, then Ron Washington's going down with it. That's what they told the media when he was asked about Young's performance. So maybe Ron Washington thinks Michael Young just has to bounce back. I don't know. The thing about that is he's 35 years old. So, you know... Unless you're Derek Jeter, you don't get a bounce back in your late 30s. There's not many players who have that happen. So it's you know possible he could be as bad or worse next year. And that's that's the interesting question for the Rangers. And of course, the uh, Adam Morris who runs the Rangers SBN blog Lone Star Ball is like the lone voice of any Rangers writer who's willing to just stand up and say, "Look, Michael Young is bad. We got to do something." Well, they, they, they're not. They're handcuffed. They can't. It's like if they if they disrespect this, you know, I don't want to say legendary guy, but one of the guys who's really... Yeah, he's a franchise player. Right, he's, it's it's kind of like, um, well, it's, it's not really like this, but at the end of his career, Cal Ripken was an albatross that the Orioles had to carry, and... You know, nobody wants to be that guy who's like, well, you're not very good. You shouldn't be playing anymore. Except the Orioles, at least, were willing to sign Mike Bordick and shift Cal to third. And Cal was not raising any kind of stink about shifting to third. And uh, Cal finally recognized, for instance, when the streak was hurting his uh, his own performance or the team's performance. And, you know, once that ended, it was kind of, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. he was he was whatever he was. And... He wasn't the unmovable guy. And, uh, you know, Michael Young, well, they it's like he's just taking up a spot. And they can't call up, for instance, like the Orioles were unafraid to just kind of take Wilson Benamit away from third base, which obviously, duh, and call up Manny Machado. And the Rangers might make room for their own elite shortstop prospect, Jerickson Profar, but... Well, they have uh, they, they have can. they have Elvis Andrews playing shortstop and Adrian Belter playing third base uh, or Mike Olt coming up now. Yeah, and when one of them doesn't play, Mike Young plays. Mike Young is there. He's playing that spot. He's in the field. He's a guy, yeah. another guy who probably has the range of as far as he can fall over. And uh, well, that's what Texas has to deal with. So, first place problems, I guess, is how we would we would hashtag that one, Andrew. Yeah. But it is something to, to watch this this week. Uh, he his platoon splits are they skew. He hits lefties well and righties poorly, and the Orioles are throwing three righties out there. Yeah. Okay. Well. So and their bullpen is predominantly right-handed, so that's that's a plus for for us, I suppose. Right. So we just have to hope so that watch. like uh, Buck doesn't have one of his uh, Dave Tremblay innings and suddenly. Troy Patton is coming in to face. Well, you know, I I tweeted that the inning where Prince Fielder hit his second home run off J.C. Romero, I 
I said that was the most Dave Tremblay inning of the season. You could just imagine. Well, you might not want to, but I, fact, I I could imagine. Like, I had flashbacks to sort you of the same exact thing. Sitting happened. at the table in the press conference with that goofy grin on his face, just kind of shaking his head and being like, "Well, you had to get a lefty in there. What can you do? That's baseball." You know, I kind of miss Dave Tremblay. I mean, that sounds really dumb to say, but he he didn't get a fair shake. No, he had terrible Orioles teeth. No, that roster's not. And and he he carried that like a champ. There were things with a right. He never bad contract situation for him. He never complained or anything. Right. And I mean, it was doomed, just totally doomed, right from the get go. But and he did some dumb stuff sometimes. But on the other hand, what could you do with the teams he had? It's there was no chance. So wherever he is, Dave Tremblay, uh, we we wish he well. I still fondly remember the time he uh, he pantomimed ejecting the second base umpire. Because he went out to argue probably the most ridiculous Ole play I've ever seen on a, well, one of those second doubles. There was a play, was this Dave Tremblay or was it someone else where like Dustin Pedroia tagged Felix P.A. out, but he was holding the ball in his other hand. Like he tagged him with the glove, but he was holding the ball. So he, didn't, he never tagged him out, but Felix P.A. was called out. I, I, uh, I remember that. I don't remember who was the manager. Ah, uh, man. There were... There's just. Let's go back to that other question. Yes, this season has been just a huge success. Yeah, you know. <laughs> this, oh, as suddenly as we remember the recent past. There's, just, there's no more of that like throw your hands up and just sigh like. Uh, there's no more of that. What a difference a couple of years makes, and it's so easy to forget that. It really is. Like you just see all the flaws in this year's Orioles, and you're like, "Oh my God, how are they winning?" And that's fine because there are those flaws. I still don't know how they're winning. I've probably watched or listened to 97% of the innings played by the Orioles this year, probably, and I don't know. But man, it is not aggravating. It beats the days of. Jojo Reyes getting starts and, you know, Julio Lugo DHing and leading off and Kevin Gregg closing out games. Kevin Gregg closing games. And I, hey, you know who I saw playing for the Nats the other night? Mike Gonzalez did. That, Mike Gonzalez. Yeah. He didn't fall over or anything. That's, uh, you know. It's, we're, it's, but we're no longer in the days of my personal favorite, uh, Todd Williams, trying to intentionally walk Miguel Cabrera and failing and giving up a double. Right. There's no more. There's no more. Bobby Huff playing first base or, uh, you know, just random appearances by, well, Ty Wigginton playing, you know. All-star Ty Yeah, all-star Ty Wigginton. And, you know. Things are so much better. Than, than they were. The Orioles are in such a better place. Just, just for just for grins, here's the uh, the guys, the four guys who threw the most innings for the 2009 Baltimore Orioles. Jeremy Guthrie, who okay, but although he had an over five ERA that year, he almost threw a no hitter today. Yes, he did. Brad Bergeson, who actually that was his one good year until Billy Butler line drive uh, rudely, rudely interrupted that. Curse you. Really Sudden and I'm shaking my fist, although none of you can see it, but my fist is shaking violently. Next most was Jason Birkin, who had an oh, ERA over six oh. that year. I have nothing against Jason Birkin. That was a side year. Because he, I mean, 
He's Jason Burkett. He's not supposed to get 20 well, starts here, in the big leagues. This is, this is a perfect example of um, how we were saying you can't really rely on this exact same team to duplicate its success. Jason Burkett, not a great pitcher. He had one year out of the bullpen where he was amazing. He was the go-to guy. Yeah, he had a 3.03 ERA in the very next year in 2010, and then I think he had the uh, and then he Fabric slipped winner. back into yeah, just being not good, not even usable. And the, the next most innings was thrown by Mark Hendrickson, 2009 Baltimore Orioles. And you know, I kind of like Mark Hendrickson. I'm gonna go out there and say it. Um, he seemed like a good dude. Yeah. And the rare player who's been in both the NBA and the MLB. Probably never once won like a most Birdland player poll or anything like that. I, I couldn't look at the 2009 well, poll right off. Well, obviously we're not going to Probably not. Probably. He's not the type of guy who's ever going to get any notice for what he does. But, you know, he, he did not have great years, but he was dependable. A little bit. Dependable to be really bad teams. Mark I mean, Hendrickson. It's not easy being the mop-up guy for a last-place team. No, that takes. You're right, Andrew. That probably that takes a certain takes type a of panache. That might not be the right word. Pray. I don't know that it is either, but it's it takes a certain type of something. I will agree with you there. And uh, yeah. well, so and to sum it up, we've we've come a long way, Orioles fans, and uh, hopefully we keep. Keep, we come a little farther because don't don't want this to be the end of the line as far as progress. But there's a there's there's been a lot of distance covered in well since Buck Walter has arrived and how much of that is him is an argument for another day. But it's pretty cool to watch and hopefully it'll keep being pretty cool this year. Key series against Texas and Andrew we talked about they're all so they're they're all key series right now. And they're all difficult. Just about, just about everybody the Orioles play are, is either a a team that's in the playoff race or has the potential to just wake up for one series and uh, seriously dampen the Orioles' hopes yep. for staying in the playoff race. So there's you know there's no letting off the gas. This is this is something we uh, we didn't remember because we were all much younger the last time the Orioles were. In any kind of contention, but when you're up there, you got to stay good and stay up there. And yeah, exactly. You you haven't earned your place in the in the playoffs until all yeah. the games have been played. Right. There's no if the season ended today. Unless it's unless you get into a magic number situation and you you. you I've, I've heard definitely not a magic no, number. We're not and no everybody wants it, to, but it's got to be September before you start talking about magic. Yeah, numbers. and and you have to be you know some games up more than half plus. Game. Right. If if the Orioles stay in the race, the, the race is going to come down to like the last week at least. It's way too tight right now. Right. It doesn't seem like anybody. The Orioles it's or anybody really else is going to just. Their opponents are really good. Uh, nobody should be underestimating, like Oakland or, or Detroit or even Los Angeles, even though they haven't played well lately. So, so man, the Orioles. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. The Texas series will be another test, but they're all tests. And uh, I don't even who's who the heck is even after Texas. I haven't even looked at. Well, they have off day on Thursday, and then uh, then Toronto Blue Jays come into Baltimore. So I, if probably if there's one team the Orioles are, are playing for the rest of the season, well, they have what one more Seattle series and then maybe the Blue Jays because um, the Seattle series is 
in Seattle, though. Oh, yeah. And it's, that's always kind of an odd thing. Safeco, the uh, the fewest extra base hits in all of baseball in that and stadium. And it's like a plane ride that's so much further from everywhere else. The Blue Jays are 15 and a half games out of the AL East. Yeah. Ten games behind the Orioles for the wild card. Yeah, their pitching's sort of falling apart. So so Matt Weeters has finally led us to the promised land, and... Uh, <laughs> It's a little bit more slightly, than slightly above the ahead Sox. of the Blue Jays. Yeah, it's 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 seven games above the Red Sox currently, and uh, hopefully it'll be a bit more above above the Red Sox. So that's about all the time we have for tonight. Andrew has an exciting life for the next six weeks or so, so our our podcast schedule may be in flux a little bit. But stay tuned to CamdenChat.com, yeah, we'll and you will know if podcasts are being being uh, being pushed around a little bit. Uh, but hopefully we'll be back mostly on the Sunday schedule, or if not Sunday nights, uh, we'll, we'll record on Monday nights and post on Tuesdays, one way or the other. But Andrew, Andrew, it's been real. It's been realer than real. Wow. It is. It's so real. I I really can't even handle it. It's so real. We're we're tripping here. It is so real that the Orioles are in one of the wild card spots as we speak. It still blows my mind. I I, I it hasn't sunk in yet. No, I don't. I don't think it's sucking sunk in for me either i'll be totally honest i don't i don't know what it would take to sink in i guess the season ending and then the orioles well the season ending because it was 162 games played not well you you've been like talking about like scoreboard watching and things like that like i don't do a lot of that stuff like I don't know. Earlier like, today, I, I, I watched the watch games and I don't think like, oh, this is really. Mean. I was watching the score for Oakland and the Indians because I wanted oh, Indians to beat Oakland. Exercise and disappointment. I know. There. I know. I I did end up being disappointed there. So. Yeah, I I mean I check the standings regularly I suppose but I'm not score like I I don't know it, I I'm not taking it maybe as seriously as I should. So, so the Orioles are winning, and you all out there should should really enjoy it and celebrate as you deem appropriate. And uh, don't but don't let anybody always, tell you you're you're a fool. Don't let anybody tell you you're a fool, Mark. I know, Andrew. God, I'm the biggest fool. Let's get that straight. Oh, brother. Just look, have fun. C- celebrate. Have fun. Uh, have fun, but remember, always do it responsibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh boy. On that note, for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown, and we are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.